Hello guys, Jonathan here from Arcade Repair Tips. We would just like to take a moment and thank you for listening to the audio replay of the live show here on the podcast feed. We'd also like to remind you to join our live show on the first Thursday night of every month at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. It's always a great time and we enjoy interacting with people just like you in our live chat. So be sure to make plans to be there for the next one. Remember also that we have an after show that takes place immediately after the live show. And if you'd like to listen to the audio from that, you will need to check it out on our YouTube page, which can be found at youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. So let us continue on with a short word from our sponsor, and then we'll get to the episode. Broadcasting from their world headquarters in Texas, it's the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show. The show that discusses arcade repair, restoration, news, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Tim and Jonathan. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 63 of the Arcade Repair Tips live show for May 2022. My name is Jonathan Leung, I'm the producer, director, and editor of the Arcade Repair Tips video series. And joining me today, as always, is Mr. Arcade Repair Tips himself, Tim Pearson. Tim, how you doing? Well, I'm glad we got electricity for right now. If uh, We might have to duck and hit the storm shelter sometime during this po- program, but maybe it's all came through our area, I hope. I think we're good right now. We did have some <coughs> storms come through earlier today, guys, and our internet is not always the best here, mm-hmm. along with electricity. Uh, for the most part, we stay up, so hopefully we'll stay up throughout the show tonight. We won't have inter- any interruptions, but if we do, Tim, we do record the show, so we mm-hmm. will post it at a later time. Um, unfortunately, that would mean we wouldn't have the interaction with mm-hmm. the live chat, right. but you guys would understand, of course. But anyway... How are y'all doing? Good to see everybody. We've got a lot, Tim, in the live chat already tonight. Uh, Matt E is here. Silly Sausage 72 is here. Encore's Arcade is here. Uh, Joe Flores is here. Real Hammer Billy Lee is here, Tim. Uh, Geek Light 08 is here. And of course, we've got YouTube Punk as well. Thank you guys all for joining us tonight. We're hoping that we'll have a great show. I've seen the, I've seen the outline, Tim. I think it's pretty decent. Yeah, I think so. But, uh, we'll see as we continue on. So, before we begin, Tim. How are things going on your side? Obviously, you've been dealing with the weather today, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just been kind of a crazy day all over East Texas. Tornadoes dropping down and lots of hard rain. And not a good day to have to travel and drive a lot. But I survived and everything's good. Um, last time we were here, John, I meant to ask you, you were building a gun. I did. <laughs> and we shot some. Yeah, the Easter egg guns. We okay. did. How did those come out? They came out really good. I can talk about those in the after show maybe. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we um, some Easter egg launching guns, Tim. I do think, like, maybe a five-year-old got hit in the back of the head with an egg, unfortunately. That may have been the only casualty, though. I think everybody <laughs> else survived the uh, the great Easter egg gun uh, blast of, what, OT-22? Is okay. that what it would be? So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, we had fun building those, Tim. Obviously, a side project, but uh, good fun there. So I do want to remind you guys that are in the live chat that you can interact with us during the show by leaving your comments, questions, suggestions, anything else that you have in the live chat room. And Tim, we have a couple in there already, so I'm going to go ahead and go to that. Matt E. says, have you guys considered making a digitally available version of your DVDs? Something like, uh, let's see, Think Thinkific or Gumroad or Udemy courses. We've actually looked at Udemy and some other things in the past. 
uh, about doing something like that, Tim. Mm-hmm. But just, I don't know, we never felt like it would be popular enough to get the traction. If enough of you guys would sign up, if we did like a digital course of some sort, then we would probably do it. So if you are interested, uh, send us an email at questions yeah. at arcaderepairtips.com and let us know your interest level. If we get enough people, if we could get enough people to sign up, Tim, we would do it, right? Sure. So there you go. Silly Sausage 72 says greetings from California. Uh, Encores Arcade says hello everyone. Happy Cinco de Mayo. It is Cinco de Mayo. Right. So hopefully you've got your Mexican food in front of you, Tim, and you've got <clears> your, uh, you know, your choice of uh, alcoholic beverage. If you <laughs> do that, that's up to you. But, uh, I know, you know, a lot of people celebrate Cinco de Mayo that way. So if you're doing that, more power to you. Tim, it is also Revenge of the Fifth. That's right. <laughs> so of course we had May the Fourth be with you yesterday. Correct. So for those of you guys who are, who are obviously Star Wars fans out there. It's it's a good time of year, Tim. And yeah. yesterday we did post a deal about the Star Wars Arcade 1 a pinball machine. Those went pretty quick, so hopefully yeah. you guys saw that and were able to get one for the $420 price, which, Tim, is one of the cheaper prices I've seen on those Arcade 1 up pinball Yeah, tables. I was really shocked to see that that price. Yeah, so I haven't seen them less than that very often, so hopefully you guys scored that. Uh, let's see. Joe Flores says, Joe Tech in the house. Woohoo. Uh, Real Hammer Billy Lee says, hello, hello. Happy Revenge of the Fifth. So there's mm-hmm. another one, Tim. Uh, let's see. John Freddy Moreno says, uh, sal- uh, saludos, uh, de, uh, desde Colombia. Okay. So I guess greetings from Colombia, Tim. So you, that's the cool thing, guys, about doing the show is you're from all over the place. We talk to people, of course, here where we are in the United States, but we also talk to people in Australia or England or Colombia, all over the place. So we always want to, we also want to thank you guys who are international for watching because Tim, it may not be the most convenient time for you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as it is for a Probably lot of people. Really here light in the there in Colombia. Absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, Geeklag08 says hello, everybody. YouTube Punk says <laughs> let's go. Let's see. Um, we got Doker, uh, let's see if I can say that. Doke Tor, Torzet says, hey guys. Uh, YouTube Punk says the existence of the real Hammer Billy Lee suggests the existence of a fake Hammer Billy Lee. So that's always <laughs> right. good. Uh, Carlos <laughs> says, hello everyone. And, uh, there you go. I think we're caught up. Okay. So again, if you guys want to leave anything, make sure you leave it in the live chat and we will try to get to that whenever we have time. We're kind of going, we usually weave that into the questions. Sure. I, w- I was going to say insert, but I like the word weave. I think so. So there you go. So, oh, we got greetings from Germany, Tim. Okay. So there you go. All over the place. We love it. So well, thank you guys for joining us. I got to ask what part of Germany. There you go. You know, since I've been to Cologne and uh, have friends in Cologne. There you go. Dusseldorf. Same. Anyway. So, Just Germany right now. I'll let, you know. I'll let you know if they, they chime back in. So, I've been Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, before we get into the questions, though, I do want to show this. This may uh, make you feel old. I know it does for Uh-oh. me. But uh, we're celebrating our 14th anniversary this month. Crazy. In fact, here in a couple of days, Arcade Repair Tips was founded on May 8th, 2008, Tim. The first post was the parts of an arcade cabinet, which is still up and you can still find on our website. And we do want to thank everyone who has read, watched, listened, or can contributed to our content these past 14 years we greatly appreciate it and tim we say this all the time mm-hmm. uh, every time we have an anniversary but uh you guys are the reason we continue to do what we do we would not have been going for 14 years if it wasn't for all you guys who read and watch and and listen to the content that we provide so we want to thank you guys of course but tim it's hard to believe we've been doing it for 14 years now wow it doesn't seem like it there you go so it must uh, have started when i when you were uh 10 and i was 20 right you know i went, went too far <laughs> off I don't think so. there you go but 14 years, guys, market repair tips will coming up here in like three days. So, uh, just, uh, like I said, thank you guys for, uh, for continuing to watch and listen and read our content. We do appreciate you guys uh, more than you know. So, 
Okay, Tim, enough of it. Did I get the, like, sentimental stuff out of the yeah. way? Is Let's that enough of get that? To the question. Okay, there we go. No, we got uh, two from Chicago, Tim. Okay. I should say that, two from Chicago. Oh, Hanover, Germany. Oh, okay. So there you go. And that's, uh, Dok Torzet. Dok Torzet. Okay. So there you go. Okay. So we're caught up, so let's go ahead and move into our questions for this evening, guys. And the first one we have here is from Chris. So I'm going to put Chris's up here. My left joystick stopped working. Now, Tim, uh, I kind of talked with Chris a little bit more. His mm-hmm. left direction on okay. his joystick is not working. The trackball works. The wire tests fine to board. The switch is good. I bypassed the switch. Still gives no left movement. So what's bad? So, Tim, we've got a... It sounds like Chris probably has just a, a regular, maybe four-way joystick with mm-hmm. like a 60 and one And his left direction, whenever he hits it, is just not registering at all, okay? And so he says he's checked the... It says a wire test to the board. So right. he's done continuity back to the board, which is something we would suggest. He says that's good. The switch is good. Right. Okay, so what else could be going on with Chris's arcade game here that would cause it not to register the left direction? Well, he mentioned that he checked the wire from the switch to the board, but you have two wires that go to each switch. It takes two to tango with a switch. And so um, he did mention that he, he probably checked the main wire or directional wire but not the ground wire. And that's where we usually see the problem is there's a break in the ground. So the black wire or the one that's in the ground position uh, could probably possibly be his problem. If your switch is good and uh, unless, on a rare occasion it could be a board issue, but super rare, more than likely it's the ground uh, wire. So it takes two. In other words, that complete the circuit, you need that ground wire. So... I'm assuming that it's probably the ground wire. Okay, well, Tim, I actually heard back from Chris and kind of replied the same thing that you mentioned here. And he said what actually happened was that apparently the pin for that direction on his board was dirty. Okay. So he took an eraser to it and cleaned it off. And then once he put the harness back on, beautiful connection. Okay. So, I mean, that happens too. So those edge connectors, guys, like especially when we think of JAMA boards, okay, or any kind of board that has an actual edge connector, uh, those get dirty, right, Tim? Right. So even though he was getting continuity on the wire, the wire wasn't making connection with the board on the edge connector. You got it. Okay. Exactly. Well, that and makes so, sense. And so what you can do is you can take just like a regular pink pencil eraser or mm-hmm. anything and just kind of go along those pins, correct? Yes. It's very good. They, they just get oxidized over time and quit making a good connection. And a lot of times, especially, uh, he didn't say what game, but a lot of times, uh, especially on old Pac-Man board and stuff like that where a lot of heat um, takes place, uh, you'll see that. There you go. So I'm going to go ahead and throw Chris's slide up here, Tim. And uh, basically, like you mentioned in your question, you did not mention if you check the ground wire going to the switch, make sure that the ground wire is connected to the correct position on the switch and that it's actually connected to a ground on the other end using the continuity check on your meter. Tim, we've seen this a lot where it's like all three of my directions will be working, but that last direction won't. And it's because Mm -hmm. there is a break in that daisy chain that's causing the issue. Now, if the ground checks out, like Tim mentioned, it's possible that your board may may be the cause of the issue. You might try going into the test mode for your game board, see if it has an I.O. check, so you can test the switch there. You can also trace back from the input pin on the board for additional troubleshooting. And Tim, that last part is kind of the important part here, because that's really what Chris ended up doing. He Uh ended up going to the pin on the board and saying, wait a minute, I've got the harness connected, but I'm not getting continuity to that pin. And so he just had to clean it up with an eraser a little bit. As you can see the update, the pin on the board on the left joystick direction had to be cleaned with an eraser thanks and then once he did that good to go right you know most of the time when we're going to check continuity we'll we'll unplug the harness because we can get it good there but sometimes it's probably good to check it 
to where the pin actually comes through the board so you're going through the harness all the way uh, to the switch. So that might be something worth noting uh, next time you go to check one. If you're not getting continuity there, uh, make sure that you are getting continuity from the harness to the board. Absolutely. That short span right there could be your problem. And like you mentioned, Tim, <clears throat> you can do that with the harness connected. So you could have the harness connected, and then usually there's enough of the pin there exposed, Tim, that you mm-hmm. can just put your your um, your little... Your meter uh, probe. Yeah, your probe. <laughs> thank you. Your probe right there, and then put it on the other end and check the continuity that way. So, uh, Chris, we're glad to hear that you got your you got your game board in the left direction back up and running, and good luck with your future arcade projects. Okay, I'm going to check in. Uh, YouTube Punk says 14-year anniversary. There you go. Mm-hmm. He's giving us a little congratulations there. Real Hammer Billy Lee says fiberglass pins were great to clean edge, edge connectors. Have you ever used that, Tim? Uh, no, I haven't. That sounds good. Sounds sounds correct, though. Okay. Yeah, Dr. Z, excuse me. Yeah, sorry. You know, when I'm pronouncing these names, guys, I'm just kind of looking at them. And unfortunately, Tim, the live chat on our screen has got, like, font this small. And I need yeah, to really, figure out. I, need I to, can't see it at all. I was about to say, I need to figure <laughs> out a way to increase that font. Unfortunately, you know, I've got my, uh, you know, it is what it is. I've got my contacts in so I can kind of see it well. But I really have to look at some of those. So, yes, doctors that, sorry about that. So, that is that is the, the guy from Germany, Tim. Okay. We were talking about earlier. Nice so. to meet you. There we go. So, again, Tim, I think we're caught up with the live chat. So let us continue on in our outline here, Tim. And our next question is from The Creep. Okay. That's all all he gave me. So The Creep is what it is. I have a marquee light that I am wiring straight to a new power supply. There are three wires, black, white, and an almost off-white. Can you tell me where to wire them on the power supply? It's an original fluorescent light for an Atari Superbug. Thank you. Now, Tim, before we before we continue on with this, have you seen an Atari Superbug in a while? No, not in a long time. <laughs> I was pretty, trying. I was trying to think of the last day. time I had an Atari, or I had seen an Atari Superbug. Maybe like when we were at an arcade or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen one of these guys. But um, Tim, there. I mean, marquee lights are marquee lights, right? Right. So he's just trying to wire it up, and he's got this kind of black, this white, and this off white, and he's just wondering where do I need to wire these things on my game in order to get this marquee light up and running. Well, your black is normally your hot wire and your white is a neutral, so I'm going to assume the other one is ground. Uh, but usually ground wires can be black or they can be green. So I, I, I may be making it harder than it is. You've got to know which where they're going. In right. other words, are they going straight to uh, the chassis uh, of the of the light or the fixture itself is it grant the which find which one's ground one of those wire find find the wire color that's going to a screw or a nut or something like that that one will be go to ground and then the other two it technically um you know we say it doesn't matter it should work as long as you hook it up to the ACs on each one uh but i know that there are lines hots and neutrals and it does somewhat matter so i would probably choose the darkest wire for the hot so maybe if that makes sense sure whatever's left if the black is a ground then the white is probably going to be neutral since you have a white wire right and tim a lot of times in these marquee lights there's a transformer up in there too and uh-huh. so you can see where the wires are going to the transformer if it's up in there um and just that may give you a hint as to where they are but tim i mean i looked at the manual Okay. Just to see if I could figure out what was going on. And so this is kind of some information from the manual. According to the Atari Superbug manual, the marquee light should use 110 volts AC for its input voltage. Tim, that's pretty standard. Right. right? 
So the manual also states that the wire colors for the marquee light should be black for line or hot, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. white for neutral, and green for ground. Like, it literally says this, and Tim, this uh, little clipping here to the side I is actually it. from the manual for Atari Superbug, okay? okay. And, it, and you can see the wire colors there. You can see the, bl- the black, the green, the white. Like, it literally has the black, green, and white there, and it should be that on both ends. So here's the thing, Tim. If if the creep still has the original wiring going up to the marquee light, he should see a black, a green, and a white. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So it should be there. And if the plugs are still there, it should plug in like that. I agree. So... Now, in most cases, the black and white wires usually match up to their correct AC wiring counterparts, Tim. That's what we found out. Right. And so, which leaves only the almost off-white, which we can probably assume is the ground. Based on this, you should be able to connect the wires to their respective locations on the new power supply. Now, again, if you want to double-check that, there should be a transformer or something up in the marquee light where you can see where each of those wires, each of those wires is heading. And so, usually, Tim, like, the two going directly to the transformer prongs are going to mm-hmm. be your AC wires, okay? Correct. And so, the ground will be going somewhere, somewhere like, to the frame of the marquee light to make sure that you don't have any kind of, you know, obviously, if there's some sort of spark or something like that, it's grounded. So, so that's what you need to look for probably more than anything is actually look at the marquee light and see where the wires are connected in the marquee light itself. And then, like I said, if there are two going to a transformer, those are going to be your AC. And the other one may be going to, like, the entire metal frame of the marquee light. In that case, it's probably the ground. There you so, go. Uh, Tim, anything else here for the creep before we move on? No, I think we – if, if any of that was – I mean, it seems pretty simple to me. But if, if you're not sure, if you want to take some pictures or whatever – Please email us back. We'll be glad to help you more if you need it. Absolutely, yeah. If you want to send some pictures to us, that's fine. The Creep. Uh, in fact, Tim, I don't like calling somebody The Creep. I'm going to call him Not The Creep. So, not, <laughs> not The Creep. If you want to send us some pictures or something like that, you can do that. Uh, and send it over our way at questions at arcaderepairtips.com. And we can probably help you determine that a little bit more. But typically, whites and blacks, Tim, they match off on AC wiring. That has been a standard forever, right, Tim? Yes. So, I mean... That's what makes me think the off-color wires probably is ground. Agreed. So, uh, hopefully they answered your question. But if you do need a little bit more help, send us over another email, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. We'll try to help you out further there. Okay, Tim, uh, we got a question from John here. He says, what about using moss to clean contacts? Have you ever used moss to clean contacts? Yes. Okay. How's it work? For sure. It works great. Yeah. It's very good, um, especially the edge connectors. It would be great. It's good stuff on that. Yeah. And if you guys don't know what Moss is, it's that metal cleaning solution that you Mm -hmm. can get. Who makes it? I always forget. Um, I don't know. It's M-A-A-S. Yes. Is the how you spell it? I don't even remember who makes it. Right, you can get it. Uh, I mean, Amazon. They used to carry it at Walmart, but yeah. now the last time I bought some, I think it was off of Amazon. There you go. So it's very handy for cleaning uh, metal metal mm-hmm. parts, uh, and I mean, even on edge connector pins, it's really good as well. Never dull. You can get it at Walmart or at uh, AutoZone or Pet Boys or O'Reilly's, one of those, and it works good too. It's you know, it's the kind in the little can that looks like cotton. Right. It already has a solution in it, and you can kind of rub that on there, and that will clean really good. Made for car rims, right? Mostly, but it works great on that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Sounds good. Okay, Tim. Well, let us continue on with the outline, and the next question we have is from Matt. And Matt says, I recently picked up an NFL Blitz 99 cab that has a MacVision chassis, which is really a Waya 
3129D series. When booting from a cold start, the cabinet will be playing blind and there's a steady clicking noise, 2 hertz or so. Or so. Normally, I'd be thinking something is wrong with the hot, but when I was buying it, the previous owner says, said, and then demonstrated, that if you let it keep clicking for 30 to 60 seconds while it warms up, you can flip the power switch off, and the next time you flip it on, the cab would boot right up. Okay. Okay, sure enough, he's right. Mm-hmm. He's also said it's generally best, uh, for, uh, gener- generally good for the rest of the night after that. The fact that the monitor works fine after the warm-up phase makes me think it isn't the hot that's bad. Uh, I haven't checked voltage levels yet, so I'll be starting there. Is it possible a capacitor that's not at the original level of energy storage, but also hasn't completely died yet? Is it possible that that could be the case? Perhaps while the machine is warming up, a capacitor is slowly charging, and then once we cross some threshold of ferret of periods of energy, uh, there's enough energy to get the monitor chassis over the hump and actually fire up the next time we start the machine. Thoughts on my theory, other ideas, I'm looking forward to hearing uh-huh. back from you. Tim, this is a very interesting yeah. <laughs> question. Now, uh, Tim, I know you're not a fan uh-huh. of the Mac Vision wire chassises. I know that this is something that uh, typically you try to avoid, but you've also seen a lot of them yes. because Chuck E. Cheese used to have a ton of these back in the day, correct? Yes. So, Plenty. Uh, so I also sent this over to Michael. Okay. To get his thoughts, but before we get his thoughts, Tim, why don't you give us your thoughts here on on his problem? Uh, this is a very interesting problem from Matt here. So, what do you think? So, obviously, it sounds like the hot may be good, right? Be, or at least functioning, because we can get picture if we let this clicking go on for like thirty seconds, sixty seconds, turn off the machine, turn it back on. Um, and uh, I'm glad that you consulted Michael on this, but nine times out of ten, when I've seen that, it's a filter cap. It's one of the little tiny caps. Right in the middle of your chassis. Um, but it, it is right that it could still be something with the hot causing it to kind of drain it. But more than likely, it's a filter cap. That's my guess. Okay. Well, let me put Michael's uh, response back here, Tim, and you can give our, your thoughts on that. So, response from Michael. This problem is very common. I have seen this with monitors as well as TVs. The bad news is it's sometimes hard to troubleshoot. The clicking sound is usually a symptom of high voltage shutdown. Now, Tim, we could probably could have guessed that because right. we know he's having power issues. Normally, a shorted hot, right? right? That's very common with the clicking noise. But since this will work, that isn't the case here. I would look for the 100 microfarad cap near the power supply section first, the um, then check any remaining caps in the power supply and then move to any electrolytic caps in the high voltage section. And the SR meter would definitely help in this case. I would also look for cold solder joint. It may not be bad enough where it's totally obvious. Since the chassis works after it warms up, solder will expand with any amount of heat and restrict when it gets cold again. Correct. Okay, so so Michael's thing here is that we're probably, like you mentioned, Tim, probably looking for a bad cap in the power supply section. Um, and then, obviously, he mentions an ESR meter, Tim, which is basically a device that allows you to test caps. When in it, circuits. When, exactly, mm-hmm. in circuits, so you don't have to pull every cap out, which is, is really good. But he also mentions, Tim, something that Michael probably mentions every time I ever talk mm-hmm, to him, right. and that is touching up the solder all over it. And so what may be happening here, Matt, is that you, your hot may actually not be bad, but it may have a cold, cracked, or broken solder joint on it. And so what happens mm-hmm. is that when you first boot it up, that solder is cold, so that connection's not made. And then as it warms up, that solder expands just enough to connect the hot back to the chassis. 
Right. And at that point, it starts working again. So basically, anything in the high voltage section, you need to touch up the solder on. Okay, so go. any parts that you have in there, you need to do. Now, Tim, here's the thing: you got the chassis out, you're doing all this uh, solder touch up. Why not nice. do a cap kit on top of what you're doing? It's just a good time to do it. I mean, that's what we. Our rule is: if we have to pull a chassis out and we haven't installed a cap kit on it in a while, guess what? It's getting a cap kit, right? Right. Tim? I mean, because that's. I mean, if you're pulling the chassis anyway, you might as well install the cap kit on there too. Uh, Tim, any any more thoughts here on Matt's problem before we move No, on? I don't think so. I think that uh, he'll find that it probably is exactly that, either a broken, a cold solder joint or a bad cap. It's probably right there in the middle of the of the chassis. Sounds good. So, Matt here, like Tim mentioned, let's let's uh, pull out the chassis. Let's touch up some solder joints. Let's install that cap kit, see where that leaves us, and touch up solder. If you're touching up that solder, every part in the high-voltage section, especially the hot, Tim, because, again, yes. the clicking noise a lot of times is a bad hot issue. So if that solder is cracked around that hot, you need to touch up the solder on it. It should get you where you're going. If you need any additional help, please let us know. Oh, and I talked to Michael, Tim. Oh, good. He moved. That moves again. Yeah, so, sure. I mean, he was living in Florida for a while. Right. Okay, and I don't think, I, don't, I, I, I maybe I shouldn't say where he's moving to. I'll okay. just say he's moved again. Okay, it's further west. Okay. okay well, but, of course, it had to be further west than Florida. <laughs> but it's further west, so um, it's not here in Texas. So, uh-huh. but uh, he, you know, they're in the process of moving to him. He says he still has things in boxes. He would have filmed a video, but literally he says they still have things in boxes. So, okay. I don't, you know, that's fine. Um, but it was good to talk with him for a little bit, Tim. Sounds like they're doing really good. And, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, he said he got disenchanted with Florida, Tim. I don't know if I could. Yeah. Florida seems like a really nice place. I don't know. Mm. But my, but at the same time, though, maybe not. You know, yeah, some, sometimes not. things there are a little wild. You know, you got, you got other things going on, so... Um, where he moved to, Tim, I can say this is a little bit more tame than Florida for sure. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. But anyway, uh, we wish Michael the best and hopefully, Tim, we can get him on here doing some of his videos, uh, explaining some of his, uh, his, um, you know, the advice that he gives us a little bit more than me just reading it. So, uh, Michael, we know you're watching. So what's going on? Mm-hmm. Good luck with the move, unpacking boxes, all that kind of stuff. So, okay, Tim, I'm going back to the live chat here. Uh, let's see. John says, I have a good question for you guys. I have some old side art. What should I use if it doesn't stick well? Okay. That, that is a great question because, um, if you get something too tough, you, you know, it'll stick forever and good and you better have it tough. What? So this is a great question because if you use like a spray 90 or something, it'll probably be too tough. Um, but of course, if it's, you don't want it ever to come off, that's good stuff to use. I would probably go with a cheaper, believe it or not, like Elmer's spray glue or something. Something that would definitely stick, but if you ever needed to take it off, wouldn't be so hard down the road. Gotcha. So typically, Tim mentioned spray 90. That's 3M spray 90. That's what we Mm -hmm. would use on laminate. So right. if we're laminating a cabinet, that's typically what we use. And you could use that here, like Tim mentioned, mm-hmm. but I do think, like Tim, it would probably be too strong. Yeah. And so a spray Elmer's, you're thinking something like that. 3M makes a reduced adhesive. I okay. don't know what their reduced, you know, what their not so strong adhesive level is. Yeah, you need something that'll stick, but not bond permanently. Um, but then again, the more I think about it, even a roller kind, that you know, just something that would go on, just you kind of need it to be not stuck or you can't move it or if you get a wrinkle in it you're you know you need it kind of how we do we'll unpull un, unroll it no that's not good take it off put it back you know uh that's what but if you can get it right the first time um 
And if anybody wants to pipe in, I, we might ought to research this a little bit more. I, I would think, though, that you don't want something. That's why I thought of Elmer's. It's good, but it won't bond permanently or like super glue or something. You know, you don't want to use something like that. Gotcha. Sounds good. Uh, let's see what else here we have. Tim, we have Mr. Silverball Mania. I use pencil erasers for edge connectors. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can definitely use pencil erasers. Oh, I like just the, I mean, pencil erasers are good, but I usually use like an eraser, like a pink, you know, mm-hmm. pencil eraser, like just eraser eraser, not the end of a pencil. Um, but sometimes the end of the pencil is a little bit easier to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Just depends. Uh, let's see. Philbert says, I have a bank panic, which was made into a Superman, but I need a new control panel. Is there anyone you know that has one that would fit? Not sh- uh, bank panic. I can't remember what style cabinet that is. We'd have to probably look that yeah, up. Yeah, have to send me a picture or something. I have to Google search it. Right now, here's the deal, though. A lot of times with control panels, you can reconfigure them. So if you put a new control panel overlay, for instance, on that control panel, and then just drill the holes you need, you can kind of uh, make that work a lot of times. But Tim, we have seen several control panels that just look like Swiss cheese, and there's just no way that you're doing right. that really well. So if that's the case, uh, you may be able to take it to like a metal fabrication co- company locally mm-hmm. to you and have them make another one just like it. It's going to be a little on the pricey side, but if you're looking to do a full restore on your cabinet, it would be worth it. Tim, For do you sure. have anything else uh, that you can think of? No, I was thinking exactly that, taking it to a metal shop. We had one custom made. Uh, we took them in a sample and said, make another one just like this. It was a little over $100, which I didn't think was too bad, considering that a new control panel cost you a couple hundred bucks, you know, even sure. if it was custom made. You can also check with people on the different arcade uh, forums, you know, uh, Arcade Museum slash KLOV, Tim, of course, arcade controls and some of those. They may have, somebody may have one just lying around, uh, just, you know, taking up space that they would send you for, uh, you know, just shipping and a little bit of, little bit of, uh, little, uh, money. So, I mean, you might check there first before you go to the fabrication route. But if I was doing a full restore on a cabinet, I would probably take it to a metal fabricator and have them do it for me. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, YouTube Punk says everywhere is more tame than Florida. <laughs> so I'm not giving away, I'm not giving away Michael's location okay. apparently. <laughs> I, so there you go. I can't say it's more out west and it's definitely more tame than Florida. So it only leaves like, uh, what, 40 states? So I think we're, I think I'm good at concealing. There we mm-hmm. go. But uh, if he gives me permission to share that information, I'll share it with you guys. But I don't want to do that without having talked to him. So, but anyway. Let's see what else. Regular Show says, if the side art doesn't stick, I usually buy new art because using adhesive spray-on art causes bubbles and it's hard to get perfect. That is true. Mm-hmm. Um, using the spray-on stuff, guys, I will say this, though. Like, Spray 90, if you can get a pretty even, you know, a pretty even coating on it, or even with the Elmer's, if you can get it pretty even, you can avoid a lot of bubbles. And here's the thing. New, new old stock side art is so cool. Right. But that is the one thing that's usually wrong with it, is that the adhesive has just deteriorate, deteriorated over time. You know, Tim, I actually worried. Like, my company makes adhesives. Mm-hmm. I need to talk to some chemists about making us an there adhesive just for that. <laughs> it's like, look, I need an adhesive that makes side art stick when it doesn't stick anymore. <laughs> that's the adhesive I need, so... I don't know how much I'd have to pay again. We might be on a shark tank before long. <laughs> I think that's a very good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was about to say, our, um, our, our whole customer base may be like a thousand people. Right. <laughs> we try to explain to them why we need a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, but why all a thousand value? people are going to buy this and we're yeah. going to sell it for a hundred bucks a can. Or whatever why, do you, you why do you value your company at three billion dollars? <laughs> So there you go. I can talk to some chemists. I'm sure they would have some ideas. I'm curious. But uh, yeah, there that's you go. A, uh, that's why I said it's a great question. I've never really thought about yeah. it like that before. Let's see. Um, 
Let's see. Encore's Arcade says, never done art myself. Hairspray? I guess, I, I don't know. There. You know, who, or, or just, I would maybe even contact some of our people who make artwork and ask them what, a, you know, they, they don't print it with sticker on it. Right. I mean, they use some kind of glue. That's true, yeah. So like, you know, whenever some, whenever somebody prints art, I don't know, they may buy it. Like, they may buy, buy it pretty adhesive. Yeah, I was about to say, 3M makes, like, an adhesive print, printable. And that may be sheet. something that you could do, too, is buy some, trace around it, and then, you know, that's double-sided. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah like a double-sided. Stick, to, stick it to this side end of the game. Yeah, side, to maybe cut like it really that. well. Yeah. Golly, that'd be tough. So Depends on the artwork and what it is. Yeah, and artwork is expensive. And Razor Show said this, too. Yeah, artwork is ex- expensive for sure. So, I mean, and here's the thing. Like I said, there's something cool about having new old stock on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I like that. You know, I like I like the fact that, look, this literally came from the same factory that the original side art came from. You know, there's something yeah. to be said about that. So... Um, but again, it, you know, Elmer's I could see, but getting the bubbles out may be a little bit of a challenge there for sure. Um, I think I would probably experiment with some tests, something like a test something just to see if I could get it the way I want it before obviously putting the real stuff on there. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Uh, it, like I said, maybe uh-huh. I need to ask a chemist. So, okay, Tim, well, let us continue on. And our next question is from Joe. And so I'll put Joe up here. Hey guys, I've been an amateur arcade collector for about 20 years now. I recently came across my favorite game, Exidy's Venture. They were only selling the cabinet with the monitor, bezels, and control panel. The cabinet seems to be in good condition. It's being delivered to me next month. Unfortunately, it doesn't come with the PCB boards or any of the wiring. I'm trying to figure out what boards do I need. Is there an audio board? What does a Venture PCB look like? What kind of power supply do I need? So, Tim, uh, we're buying an empty cabinet here. Reminds okay. me of somebody else I know that bought an empty cabinet once. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're buying an empty cabinet. We're trying to resurrect a um, an Exidy Venture, Tim. Now, you might notice our uh, title for this episode is Hunting Venture for Superbugs. So, we've already, had two, uh, we've already had two of those come up. That's the Superbug, mm-hmm. Tim, the Atari Superbug. And then this is the Venture one. Okay. The hunting one we'll get to here in a second. Okay. Right. So, uh, But, again, Hunting Venture for Superbugs this month, Tim. Okay. And so... <laughs> We have Joe. Oh, Joe has pictures too, and I forgot and the rest of the question here. So let me read that. Oh, wrong scene. There we go. I've never owned a game by Exidy, so I'm not familiar with it. I'm still searching the internet for as much information, pictures, and parts. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of information out there for Venture. I wanted to ask you if you know where I can find a PCB and a harness for this game. Any help is greatly appreciated. Thank you, Joe from Detroit. So if you're in the Detroit area and you have some Exidy Venture parts that you can hook Joe up with, we would highly, uh, we would appreciate that. And I'm sure he would too. And Tim, here are the pictures of his Venture. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now he sent more than this, but I just wanted to put up the ones that I felt were relevant to what we were trying to ask. So he sent us uh, this front. You can see the control panel in the, the front side of the cabinet here. You can see the inside of the cabinet. It's pretty clean. Okay, and this board here, which is kind of an important board, which is why I put that up there. And Tim, you may not know what that board is. We'll get that here in a second. But basically, Tim, we're trying to bring this, uh, we're trying to bring this venture back from the dead. We have an empty venture, so I can help him with what the board looks like. But what can you tell Joe about the Exit Venture arcade game? Well, this is going to be a challenge, um, and you know, the one thing that I would have to say is. Do you want it to be all original and stuff? I mean, the, one of the best ways to do it may be to just run run a MAME or something that can play it. I mean, 
I don't know that there's I just be a careful ton with that. of them. I was about to say that the the uh, live chat may revolt over that statement. Well, too. if you can find the boards, right? By all means, go for it. You're going to have to scour, post in groups. You're going to have to look on eBay. There's probably not a ton of them out there. If you can find a working board set, we should throw that in there. Then you can wire it up and um, just you're going to need to find a manual and see uh, how many pins is the wires that go there and find you some connectors and stuff. It's it's doable, but it's going to be a challenge. There you go. Um, let's see. YouTube Punk says Joe should hit up Richie Knuckles in New Jersey. He's got a lot of exity stuff. He does. You know what? Uh-huh. Tim, I met Richie a couple of times, so he's a good guy. Uh, you could hit him up and see if he's got any of that stuff as well, Joe, that he may give you. Tim's may, right, though. Finding a board is a is It a may be even worth to try to find a, a non-working board just so that you can be working on the wiring and everything and then maybe send the board off for repair. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, Exidy is an older game, Tim, mm-hmm. and so finding stuff for older games like this is, can be a little bit of a and challenge. And it's like a, if I remember right, it's not JAMA for sure. No. And it's um, kind of a multi-board set, and, and you're right, I don't remember quite what that board was that he showed, but... Uh, what's that board, Johnson? You, you did you know? Um, so I I have all the information here. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it up here so you guys can see it. On Exit Adventure, the game PCB is a stacked board set with the soundboard on top and the main Logic PCB on the bottom. So mm-hmm. Tim, this is a picture of the board set. You will notice that there is a PCB on top of the main PCB. Okay. So the top PCB, it's a PCB, it's a PCB stack. Okay. The top one is the soundboard. The bottom one is the main game board. Okay. okay? Logic board. Okay. It uses a 44 pin edge connection. Which is J1 on the Logic PCB, okay? So it's actually labeled on there, uh, so you can, you can wire it up based on that. So as it's interface for the cabinet, finding a power supply can be difficult because it not only uses the standard plus five, negative five, and plus twelve, but, but it also uses 12. a negative volt, right. a negative twelve volts DC, okay? The good news is that it looks like you have a plus twelve to minus twelve power supply board included in your purchase. Okay, so basically what he can do with that board, and Tim, that was the one that I showed. I'm going to pull it back here so people can see it. That one on the far right. Right. Basically, you can run plus 12 volts DC to this board, and it will output negative Negative 12 volts. Okay. Okay, so that way you don't have to worry about um, using a power supply that has the negative 12. Basically, you can use an off-the-shelf standard power supply and run it as long as you have that board. Because that board's going to get you the ne- the required negative volts DC. Now, Tim, Mike's Arcade has a um, has a page for Venture that's from the Wiretap archives, and okay. I've linked that here. It's also down in the show description. And of course, Tim, the manual is invaluable for this game. For okay? sure. So there's a link to the manual below, and you can see that as well. Those would be the two the two pieces of information you need in order to get this running. Now, Tim mentioned using Mame or something else. Uh, YouTube Punk says um, you could do BitKit. I'm not sure if if Venture is on the BitKit board. Okay, I wasn't sure. Right, I'm not. Matt E says you could go is. with Mister, so an FPGA type solution. Tim mm-hmm. may work with this as well, which is basically, which is an emulation, but it's on the hardware level. Right. So I mean, where it's actually, it's actually like a kind of like a a simulation of the hardware level versus a software emulation. Oh, okay. And so you could do something like that as well. So um, yeah, but it just depends. I mean, that would be up to you. As oh, Joe is here. There you go. He's here watching. So, Joe, it really depends on which way you want to go. Do you want to go all original? Okay? So, if you want to go all original, 
then you're going to have to find the board. You'll have to wire up that 44-pin connector to your cabinet. And then you've got all the parts for the power supply. So a standard switching power supply that we normally use should be fine with that. RetroArcade.us, HAP, Betson, they all carry that same, you know, that standard switcher. And then just make sure you use the plus 12 to minus 12 uh, power supply board that's included with the purchase in order to get that negative 12 volts to the, to the game board. If you don't want to go that way, then you could try looking into an FPGA type solution, a big kit, uh, a MAME style emulation with like a Raspberry Pi. I mean, those are other ways to go. But, Tim, we like going original. Sure. And so if you, I mean, if you want to go original, you're going to have to wire it all up, wire it all up with a harness. It's a 44 pin, Tim. That's good. So you get you a 44 pin connector and then just wire each of the pins where it goes based on the pinouts on the Mike's Arcade side, which we have down below. So he has the pinouts for those. So assuming you can get a working board set, wiring the cabinet should be easy. Mm-hmm. So, cause you do have everything that you need for that. So, and he says he's up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. So okay. there you go. So uh, let us know what you decide to do, though. Yeah. Okay, because that's going to be probably the biggest part is whether to go an emulation simulation style route or to go with an original board set route. Okay. And so you know, and what you may say to yourself is say, okay, I'm going to give myself six months to find an original board set, and if I don't find it in six months, we're going we're going the FPGA mm-hmm. route, or we're going to go the we're going to go the emulation route, or something like that. So that may be the best way to go about it. Probably so. Tim, any more thoughts on Joe's question? No, Joe. Keep us in in the loop, though. We'd be glad to help you more with whatever you decide to do. And like they said, uh, it said to contact Richie that he had a lot of Exidy parts. That's probably a good idea, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you can try to contact Richie Knuckles. Uh, he has um, – there's a couple email addresses out there. I follow him on Facebook, Tim. There's a couple ways you can get in t- touch with him if you need to. He may be good, a good guy to reach out to in order to see if he has a working board set for you. Uh, let's see. Um, stupid question by YouTube Punk. Negative 12 volts. What does that mean exactly? What makes it negative? So a lot of times uh, a board will will like flip the voltage so that when you add the plus 12 and the minus 12 together, you get a ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's common. We see it with negative 5 volts probably more obviously. Um, but just this is an older board, so it's something that whoever did the engineering on the board said, okay, well, we're going to do something where we need the negative 12 and so that when we combine the two lines, we get a ground kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's definitely rare, Tim. We don't see as many boards using negative It's probably in the sound. Uh, right, and a lot, of time, yeah, a lot of times it has to do with the sound amp or sound circuit on the mm-hmm. board. So, just depends. Uh, let's see. Um, Mr. Add-ons for the FPGA stuff. Cool dude. Yeah, so if, yeah, just, a, uh, Mr. Tim is one of the, is one of the big, F, uh, FPGA projects for arcade stuff and so, and video game stuff. So, I mean, if that's something that you're looking into, that's where you need to go. Uh, same with negative five, please, for midweights like MK for sound. Yes. Mm-hmm. So negative, negative voltage is typically used for sound. That's not always, not always, but, um, it can't, that's where a lot of times you'll find it. And like I said, it's kind of so that when you add the two together, you get kind of this zero voltage, which gives you almost like a ground type effect. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. But, um, uh, like I said, it depends on how the board was engineered and how the people want to do it. Negative five, very common, obviously negative 12, not so much, no, which not is why this, which is why this had that separate breakout power supply. board. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Am I caught up? think so uh Ant-Man has a question it sounds like this is on a um what do you call those things like a cherry master style board tank? okay he says jacks are better paying out more than winning can the dip switch edit this setting on a cherry master so like it sounds like um like if you get a jack it's paying out more than actually when you yeah. win the game so can i modify this through dip switch setting? should should be but it, i don't you know it could be a hard or a soft dip 
Okay, so, so let's explain that real quick. Okay. So hard dip switches would be actual physical switches on the board. A soft dip would be like a test mode. Like you have to get into the test mode and modify it from there. Um, it depends on what the age of your Cherry Master board is. If mm-hmm. it's older, more than likely it will have an actual physical hardware dip switch on the board that'll do that. Mm-hmm. If it's um, if it's newer, maybe a software dip, something in the test mode that you'll need to go in and modify it that way. So. Uh, Joe has an update. He says, would you, uh, yeah, go ahead and give us an update. He says, would you like to hear that now? Sure. Give us the update on, on the venture, Joe, real quick. And maybe I'll wait a second here, Tim, before we move on and we'll stall for a second. Tim, have you ever played venture? Yes. I have too. It's been a very long time. Golly. So, um, oh, on the negative 12, uh, Michael Bloom says, also, if you connect negative 12 with plus 12, that can give you 24 volts to work if you needed that for something. That is correct. So if you wanted to add the two voltages together, you could get double the voltage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 24 volts plus 24, very, actually more common than negative 12, right? So you could also get that as well. So it's, it's just a way that um, engineers can use to get, to kind of modify voltages without having those voltages directly on the board, if that makes sense. So, and, or having them come directly from a power supply. So, it just really depends. So, uh, so when's the last time you played Venture? Oh gosh. Uh, probably 20 years ago. I, I think I we know. played, I want to say I played it at the Houston show. Yeah, probably. I think that's, I, I think that's where I played it the last time. Um, I was trying to think, you know, the Houston show guys, there's so many collectors there that have rare stuff. Mm-hmm. Played a lot of cool rare stuff at the Houston show. Um, might try to go that this year, Tim. I don't know. Oh, we need to. Yeah, we should. I I, I still haven't played like any of the new pinball machines. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really looking forward to playing new pinball machines, and I just haven't. You know, obviously, Tim, with uh, you know, with pandemic stuff and everything, I really want to go to Texas Pinball Festival, but that ended up not working for either of us. Uh, I will. Should we say something about the after show real quick? Sure. So last time that we um, that we all got together, I mentioned I had my birthday at the movie theater, and mm-hmm. we watched Sonic Two. So in the in the after show, I'll be talking about my review of Sonic the Hedgehog Two. Okay. So you guys can watch that. Um, let's. See. Um, Antman says yes. Hard dip is on the board. So yes, you should be able uh, on the Cherry Master Tim hard mm-hmm. dip switches. Try those first. Best to find the manual for your board before you do that. Make sure you know what those dip switches do. Don't just go willy-nilly adjusting the dip switches. Find a manual. If you don't have one in the game, see if you can find one online. Because, Tim, adjusting those dip switches can cause some weird mm-hmm. stuff if you don't know what you're flipping. Or make, make sure you write down where the current is so you can get back to that. And also make sure you turn the power off when you're doing changing your dip switch. Agreed. So, yeah, in order for the dip switches to take effect in most games, you have to turn off the power, flip the dip, turn it back on. Something to keep in mind. Uh, let's see... Oh, Michael said on my colloquial. Let's see, on my colloquial vision back in '84, or or Col- oh, playing yeah. adventure. Yeah, that's where I played it a lot on. Yeah, Coleco. I always say it wrong. Mm-hmm. So Coleco Vision, uh, probably. So there you go. I have an NOS marquee. This is from John that has the predictive paper still on it. Is it or is it? It's on real good. Any tips on how to get it off easily? WD forty. Yeah, WD forty may help a little bit. Um, the problem is, man, if the you start... The paper is stuck on it. Yeah, if you start peeling it, there's a good chance... It's going to rip off some of the paint. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's a good way... I mean, you can try to stick some WD-40 up underneath there, Tim, as you go. So if you if you can spray it up underneath would, the paper yeah, as you go... Yeah, I would go. just spray it let it soak in really good and get kind of some of those oils up into the stuff. But I know what he's talking about. Uh, we I got a new old start... Uh, new old stock uh, side art. I know um, 
bezel one time for a game, and I went to just rip it off and just ripped half the paint off. Yep. Right, right off. Yeah. So I would try try some WD-40 as you go. So kind of peel up just a little edge where maybe there's not as much artwork or just mm-hmm. the corner and just kind of spray some WD-40 in there. But the problem is, I mean, you know, especially if it's been stored in a hot place. Here mm-hmm. in Texas, there's a lot of hot outdoor places, Tim. A lot of times that artwork will melt to that paper mm-hmm. and then... Yeah, I mean, you might as well just have a clear place, piece of glass at that point. So, um, but you can try the WD-40, just kind of lifting up a corner and kind of spraying as you go to see if that does anything. So, okay, Joe hasn't uh, sent us back an update, Tim. I think we're okay. about to move on. I will, before we move on, though, I will remind uh, everybody out there that uh, Sunday is Mother's Day. Right. So do something nice for your mama. <laughs> okay, go, I don't know, take her dinner, uh, get uh, get her flowers, card at least, and make sure you call. For sure. Day. So. Okay. Um, Michael says maybe isopropyl alcohol. Maybe. Maybe. Um, somebody says uh, YouTube Punk plastic razor. Um, you could take the razor as you go, but I'm still I'm still very worried that that would take up the art. Yeah, I still think WD-40 would probably work the best, and you just really soak it. Yeah, sounds mm-hmm. good. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, Joe, if you have that update, though, we'll we'll still keep you here, so just let us know how it's going from there. Tim, let us move on to our next question from Carl. And Carl says, I recently acquired an old 1982 Zaxxon cabinet. It was in pretty bad shape. It had rats living in it at one time. Okay. I think that's pretty bad shape. Probably on that uh, one. Yeah. Anyway, a guy was throwing it away, and I've always wanted a real arcade cabinet of my own. I have I have sound, and I've got the marquee light to work, but I think I have vertical collapse. I don't really understand how to fix it. I watched your videos, and I've read up on it, but I haven't taken the board out yet. I can solder decently, but I'm not a pro at it. I'm a little confused as to what kind of issues I'm looking for. IC chip? Caps? So that's my question. I know you must discharge the monitor first. I'm just a little chicken because I don't want to get zapped or ruin something. Okay, so uh, we've got our rat-infested Zaxxon here. The Carl <laughs> no. right. um, Look, guys, um, Tim, I don't know how many times we've seen rat droppings or rats inside oh, of our sure. cabinets. It's Guys, it's common because, um, you know, when these things get taken off location, they get stored in warehouses. And, Tim, what tend to live in warehouses around here? Yeah. Rats. And so they make it their home. And so, uh, Carl, it. no hard feelings there. Mm-hmm. It happens. Look, you got a free arcade cabinet. All right. Okay, that's that that's awesome in itself. So, Tim, it does sound, he's getting sound, so mm-hmm. that's promising. We're getting marquee light. That's promising, but he's getting, it sounds like vertical collapse. That, I mean, that's yeah. how he describes it, so we're going to take you at your word that you've watched our, that you've seen our videos and you know what it, what it looks like. So Tim, we have this nice, we have this nice line across the screen on our Zaxxon cabinet. What does Carl need to do in order to get that taken care of? Right, well, um, he's going to, he can go ahead and do a cap kit, that will help him. Uh, but then you're just gonna have to rebuild that vertical output. Um, there's transistors and stuff in there and, uh, but mostly if he'll do a cap kit, it may just cure it right off the bat. That's right. where we would start. So I, I'm gonna give him a little, uh, I did some more research, Tim. I'm always doing my research here. Um, uh, YouTube Punk calls this Raxon. <laughs> so, Raxon. Good name. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so I'm gonna, Here's the research I did, Tim. Zaxxons usually came with uh, K4900s or G07s. Right. Okay, so that's what we know. So, and this is from our experience, too, but I also looked this up. Zaxxon cabinets usually have Wells Garner K4900 monitors installed in them or G07s. If you do have vertical collapse on a K4900, you will need to check the vertical output transistors. And, Tim, I have the locations there. Good. Check the resistor at uh, R313 is open. Oh, here. I'll read all this for people who may not be watching this. 
Check the vertical output transistors at positions Q302 and 303. If those check out, check resistor 313, R313, see if it's open. Uh, and then check the caps at C311, C306, C308, and C313 as well. You may want to install a cap kit at this point. I mean, if you're going to replace that many caps right. or check that many caps and you got the monitor out, just install the cap kit. And then IC301 can cause this as well if it goes bad, but that's rare. Okay. So that's on a K4900. And Tim, the reason I did the K4900 is because that's the most common Zaxxon monitor that we've seen. Yeah, um, and I've, I've talked to people too about Zaxxons and the vast majority of people will say K4900. Okay. You may have a Geo7. If you have a Geo7, get back with me, Carl, and we can go from there. Uh, we can tell you some troubleshooting on that. But basically all those parts, like Tim mentioned, are in the vertical section of the chassis. Okay. So as for discharging, Tim, the process is pretty safe. Right. It's so easy that Tim can do it and right. I can do it. So, I mean, that says something. Once it's you've done enough. it, it's really not as difficult or it sounds. And even as long as your game has been off for a little while, like an hour, a few hours, you're going to be pretty safe anyway. Right. But it'll store some, but not enough to really hurt. Consider taking additional precautions. Now, Tim, in the video that we shot, we do not do these, but we do mention them in the post. And that is, and you see, in the post for safely discharging our arcade monitor, mm-hmm. rubber gloves, right? eye protection, okay, those two things alone, and make sure you have a, you know, and if you're worried about making your tool, your discharging tool, order one from somebody. Okay, so the real Bob Roberts, mm-hmm. he sells them still. You can get a discharging tool from him. There's a lot of different outlets that do it. If you if you think you're going to have a career in arcade repair tip and mm-hmm. arcade repair, get you on the high voltage probes right. that discharges that brings down the voltage gently on mm-hmm. the monitor. If it this is just going to be like a one time hobby for you, I'm going to fix this Exxon cabinet and I'm done. Screwdriver method is fine, works mm-hmm. great. But those little high voltage probes that you can stick under there, Tim, and it discharges them, those are awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you're nervous about it, you may invest in that or buy a pre-made one. Because then you'll know it works. You don't have to worry about it. If you make your own sometimes, Tim, you gotta worry about that, right? Right. You better know what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. So rubber gloves, eye protection, and get a pre-made tool if you're really worried about that. And Tim, we talk about that in that post. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people will just watch the video. You don't read the post. But the post has additional information to the videos, guys. So if you're ever, like, just watching one of our videos, I promise the post has more information than the video in it. Sure. Okay, and we do that. We do that because we just add a little. Sometimes we uh, we don't shoot things. Like, Tim, a lot of times we don't use the, you know, the rubber glove or anything because mm-hmm. we've done so many times at this point we're pretty comfortable with it. But the first time you do something, you may want to use the rubber glove. You want you want to make sure you're wearing the rubber sole shoes. You want to make sure that you have a tool that works, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's not as bad as you think. One time we took a monitor up to or down to Houston and literally had people discharge monitors there. It was fun. So, yeah. I mean, just to show you that it can be done, uh, it's not bad, and uh, we're still alive. I've even stuck a screwdriver under one that was plugged in. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're all good. we're all survived. We're all still alive. Um, nerve damage, but you know, other than that, we're good. So. Uh, there you go. So, uh, anything else for Carlton before we move on on his no. Raxon? <laughs> Good luck with the Raxon. There you go. <laughs> so, there we go. Uh, Carl, if you have any other questions, please let us know. We'll try to help you out further there. Okay, uh, Tim. So, Joe gave his update. He says he found a non-working PCB set for the Venture. Nice. Okay. Same guy that sold me a new power supply and side art. He okay. also gave me the name of a person who can who custom makes any arcade harness. I have my order in for Venture. Awesome. So, sounds like you've got everything you need, Joe. Um, you could have made that harness yourself. Uh, yeah. And I know it, it would have been more time on your part. All you have to do is just get the 44-pin edge connector, and then you could have just wired it. 
Okay, yeah. but it's nice to have it done for you too. If you for can sure. afford it, do it. <laughs> Let right. somebody else do it. Let's less ha- less work on you. Uh, but it's not that hard to make one yourself. Tim, we should probably show a video on that. Mm-hmm. In all that spare time that we have. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to make a harness yourself. You can make a jam harness. You can make anything. As long as you find the right edge connector, I mean, you can make it. Put it on our list today. Yeah, well. <laughs> Here's the thing. We'll shoot it and then I won't edit it. That's like half the videos we have. So there you go. But anyway, uh, Joe, we want to hear your updates. So keep us posted on what what happens once you get all the re- everything together and hopefully you can get all in there and it'll start working. Sure. Hopefully the monitor works too. I uh-huh. guess you don't know that yet. No. We'll find out. So, um, but let us know. Give us an update on your venture. We'd love to hear it. So, let's see. Um, YouTube Punk says, standing in a kiddie pool during discharge is not recommended. All right. That is right. Well, I mean, as long as it's not full, filled with water, I think you'd be okay. So, right? Right. Yeah, you'd be okay. So, there you go. But uh, anyway, so, Joe, yeah, keep us posted, and uh, we can't wait to hear. Hopefully, you get it all. Hopefully, you just put it together and it'll work. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be, that'd be great. There's a chance of that. Yeah, so, you never know. Same. Okay. Okay, Tim, we have come to the part of the show where we're doing our quick questions and answers. And Tim, I basically just took the same question and put it on here twice from two different people. So we only have, we usually have three for this section. We usually do them rapid fire. Okay. This month, we're just going to answer these two because they're kind of related and treat it like it's one question. I bet that's where the word hunting comes in. You got it. Very (laughs) good. Look at this. Man, your powers of deduction astound me. Mr. Holmes. I assume we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. There you go. So here we go. Uh, this is the two questions. This are These are the two okay. questions. Austin says, I have an original Big Buck Hunter Arcade. It was going great, but recently it started to not shoot accurately. Even after calibrating and getting a new gun, it will work for a little while and then goes back to shooting all over the screen. Okay. So, Tim, obviously we calibrated, it's still shooting all over the screen for Even a while. Even with a new gun. Right. Okay. Now, we have Bobby here who says, My extreme hunting has, has right to left drift on both guns. I've opened them up and i checked them. The only thing I haven't done is turn up the brightness. After calibration, they track up and down perfectly. Just they slowly move from far left to, or from far right to left, then off the screen. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim, all the, both of these have to do with light guns and calibrating and not getting accurate like an accurate positioning with the gun. So do you have any advice here for Bobby and Austin that might help them in their gun accuracy issues? With well, the first thing issues? that you got to check, especially since he has a new gun, is the wiring going to the gun into the board. Make sure, sure that the board pins and everything are really good in there. I would reflow the solder on the back of those pins where it plugs in. There's also a chip usually underneath that. Um, I think it's, uh, which game is it? Uh, one of them was Big Buck Hunter and one, one of them was uh, Extreme Hunting. Both of them are optical. Yeah, both of them are optical. Does it, does it happen if you move it to the two player side and try over there? That's a great, that's a great idea. So if you swap the guns, do you get the same result? Right. Because I think both those are two player. Yeah, and they both have chips underneath them because a lot of times I would do that and move the chip over and it would solve my problem because it would be the two, the, the chip underneath and the, the two-player one would be just fine. Right. Uh, he probably plays a lot of one-player. Uh, but those are a couple things that I would check. First, the wiring, really good solder on the back where the pins go in, and then the chips right underneath there. And a lot of times they're not so- or they're socketed for that reason that they do go bad. Awesome. So, Tim, I put a couple other things in here, too, okay. but I liked your answer. Um, so... Make sure you check the wiring. That's what Tim said. Mm -hmm. Runs from the game board all the way to your gun board. This wiring tends to get beat up. Bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, like 
kids twist guns, they turn guns, they they um, they drop guns. <laughs> what all do they do to guns, Tim? I mean, these light guns take a beating. Okay, and so check that wiring, touch up the solder. Okay, like Tim mentioned, cleaning the monitor screen helps as well. I love Tim's suggestion of swip- switching the guns. So if you mm-hmm. have two guns, switch them and see if the problem follows the gun or if it or if it doesn't. Okay, if right. it follows the gun, then you know the problem's in the, in gun. the gun. If it doesn't follow the gun, then you may have a board issue. And like Correct. Tim mentioned, there are socketed chips on a lot of these boards. Um, Big Buck Hunter in particular, Tim probably has that. Mm-hmm. But extreme hunting is a Thomas Wave. Right. So it's a little bit different in the way it. that it works. It may, because I think it has a gun interface board okay. that actually hooks up to it. So it may have that same thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think checking that, swapping the guns may help, because that way you can determine what kind of issue you're having. And then uh, we also have turning up the brightness can sometimes help the drift yeah. that you're experiencing. That's something to keep in yeah, mind. Yeah, he said he hadn't tried that. And I'm right. like, well, I would definitely try that. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you can also try replacing the optical sensor or the gun board entirely inside the guns, Tim. Um, those do go bad. Optical mm. sensors, sometimes we have to touch the solder up on those, Tim, to make sure they register properly. It's not uncommon. Uh, lenses in there. If the lenses get scratched up on mm-hmm. the sides or something like that, you may need to replace the entire lens or clean it. So, all that kind of stuff. Tim, we have an entire section of stuff on our troubleshooting light gun issues post mm-hmm. and video. So, make sure you check that out there, Austin and Bobby. Hopefully, that will... So between all of those tips, you'll figure out what's going on with your gun games. Both of them, Tim, they're different games, but they all work on the same premise. They're optical-based light guns, and they all work the same. Now, Tim... Um, we had somebody leave a comment on our on our YouTube video for troubleshooting light gun okay. issues. And I'm going to bring in here. Uh, YouTube user Case the Corvette Man was saying that he was saying turning up the brightness may not be effective at helping uh, gun accuracy issues. Okay, okay. That's what he said. Okay, And he was saying his solution is to increase the contrast instead and maybe increase the blue color. Okay. Okay. And so um, he was saying light guns tend to register just the blue color. Okay. So, and, you know, I didn't know this, Tim. Okay, I was not familiar with info. this. Maybe, exactly, this is information that we needed. And so he actually did a video, Tim, where he had a light gun, and he had a projector with red, green, and blue. And when he covered up the green and the blue, or the green and the red, and just had the blue, the light gun would register. But when he covered up the red, or when he covered up the blue, and just had the red and the green, it would mm-hmm. not register. Okay. And so you may try just increasing your contrast and your blue color level on your monitor to see if that helps. I'm not going to go as far to say that the brightness doesn't help because, Tim, I think we've had too many instances sure. where it did. But I will say that you may want to try what he suggests to try adjusting the contrast, try adjusting the blue level on your monitor. This is to Austin and um, Austin and Bobby. Try adjusting those as well and see if it helps your issues. So turn up your blue just a little bit more, turn up your contrast just a little bit more, see if it helps. Tim, typically we would say um, with like Lethal Enforcers, it has a color bar mm-hmm. um, screen. That allows you to adjust your colors and make sure that all your colors are in balance. And we suggest doing that, especially for light gun games, Tim, making sure that all your colors are balanced properly. And make mm-hmm. sure, you know, and you can do that by going into there and then adjusting each of them. And then maybe turning up the contrast a little bit as well. <clears throat> but yeah, that's what I mean. If that helps you guys, that's great. I did not know that, Tim. I know. I didn't know that it basically keys off of the blue color, but his video pretty much shows that. And you guys can see, I put a link to that video down below. For okay. Case the Corvette Man. So you guys can actually see his demonstration and how it works. He uses a gun con too, which Tim is a PlayStation 2 gun. Okay. Uh, that's used for like time crisis, for instance. So just to give you an idea. But if you want to see that video, got a link down below. You guys can check that out. Uh, but apparently it keys off that blue. So you do want to make sure that the blue in your picture is, is maybe a little bit higher even. Maybe just turned up a little bit more than you normally would feel. It like sounds that. reasonable. 
There you go. So, and like I said, he demonstrated it, so I mean, it obviously is a thing. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not going to say that the brightness does not help. It may mm. still help, but uh, you may try the contrast in the blue, too. So, okay. So, Tim, I think that does it for the questions. Alrighty. So, in the live chat? yeah, I was about to go over here. Let's see what we got here. Um, John says, what are your recommendations on bulletproofing a Cinematronics Vector game? Um... I don't. Have, I don't know. Probably John's Arcade would probably be a better person to ask. I, I, outside of just replacing um, all your um, those top hats on it and um, making sure that it's good and grounded, and probably. Um, I was gonna say, do you remember um, a, a couple I'm of live to think shows? Of what have we done before? That remember a couple of live shows back, we were talking about that specific vector monitor and how they had made a new power supply for it. Mm-hmm. Install something like that on it, something that's kind of and I forget what that thing was called. If I can, I'd have to look back a couple of live show episodes mm-hmm. to see. But there's a specific vector monitor, Tim, that they were having problems with it overheating. Mm-hmm. And so they created their own power supply. This, uh, it was like a, I, yeah. it was an arcade somewhere. And if you go back through our live show archive, you'll find it. But if you have a Wells Garner vector monitor, I believe that's what it fit. And so get something like that for the vector monitor. Cause that will help with your power supply overheating for sure. And then just make sure your power supply that you're using in the game is giving consistent voltage. And you may want to, if your power supply is a rebuild kit, you may want to install the rebuild kit on that power supply. If you're using the original, not using a switcher. Uh, but outside of that, Tim, I can't think well, of anything any, else. Anything that, I, when I'm talking about bulletproof in a game, most of the time I'm adding three or four fans. The cooler that they can run, the better. Right. It's, I, I was thinking about pole position, you know, and stuff and how after we put some fans in there, it helped it so much. So one fan going in, one fan coming out, uh, would definitely be uh, advisable. Something that keeps it cool and air flowing through there is going to help you greatly. There you go. Uh, let's see. He also says, uh, since you are a different John says, since you guys are in Texas, here's a question for you. What do you keep your dehumidifier set at in the summer for your game room? Tim, I've never used a dehumidifier and, um, I've never had the problem. Uh, our heat here, it's not as humid as like what you get in, in Houston. Yeah. Houston probably has that problem a little bit more than we do. We're further north of that. So, um, some of our guys in Houston, like the Game Preserve, Tim, I would, mm-hmm. would probably be better people to reach out to for something like that. Here, I we doubt do, that they do it either, though, most. Yeah, I mean, here, we don't, we just, we don't have the humidity. It does get humid and hot, but not like it does further south. Right. So, it just, it just or depends. South Louisiana or something. Right, exactly. It really gets hot and sticky down there. Right, exactly. So, we don't have that problem as much here. Uh, yeah, but I've never actually used a dehumidifier. But I've worked on a lot of games in South Louisiana, and I've never... Never even thought about it. Yeah, but I mean, it could help definitely. I'm yeah. Not saying it couldn't. Uh, I don't know what I would set it on, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, look, it can only help. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> it would definitely help. I would as much as you can take the humid humidity down. It's definitely going to help uh, keep stuff from oxidizing and stuff like that over time for sure. Agreed. Okay, Tim, well, we're done with the questions. Okay. Okay, so let us move on to the discussion portion of our show, guys. And uh, the first story that we have here is, um, and Tim, this is actually the title of the mm-hmm, article. I that. Tonight, I will dream about this $9,000 digital pinball machine with a 55-inch screen. And this is from Gizmodo, Tim. They say, the Skillshot FX digital pinball at 
$8,999 is more expensive than most of the real pinball machines that Stern Pinball still sells. Before that price, you get access to 96 different virtual pinball machines, courtesy of Zen Studios Pinball FX3 software. The playfield features a massive 55-inch LCD HD screen safely located beneath a protective glass covering that is paired with a 32-inch display on the machine's vertical back box, displaying matching animations and a digital scoreboard. It's running Windows 10 and has Wi-Fi built in. So you're buying a $9,000 computer here, Tim, right. with two screens on it. <laughs> but, Tim, you know what? I kind of felt like this was something that needed to be debated. So tonight, it is the return <laughs> of the arcade debate. And our question is, will people buy the Skillshot FX digital pinball machine over other options available? Tim, is this thing going to find an audience? That okay. is the question, okay? So you can decide okay. here in this right now what... What side of the debate you're going to take, and I'll take that's the opposite. Easy side. No, you're going to be easy. I see yeah, how it is. I'm going to take give me the, the tough stuff. Take the one that's the obvious. Okay, and we're in our boxes. Check this out. It's been a while. <laughs> I like my box, home sweet box. There we go. Okay, so we'll we'll take a minute here, and we'll uh, we'll reset like we normally do, and then we'll get into the debate. Well, Tim, welcome back to the arcade debate segment for this evening. And Tim, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a new digital pinball machine on the block, the Skillshot FX. Now, this digital pinball machine uh, plays pinball FX tables. It has a Windows 10 PC in it, 55-inch screen that it actually uses for the playfield, 32-inch monitor in the back box, and sells for almost $9,000. So tonight, we are going to debate whether or not People will actually buy this. Will this find an audience, Tim? Or is this just a product with nobody to purchase it? So, Tim, I'm throwing it to you. What side of the debate do you take tonight? Do you think people will purchase this or do you not? I think they'll sell about five of them to their aunt and a couple of other people that uh, felt sorry for them. I don't know. I don't see anybody paying that much for a digital pinball game. So I will take the opposite of you, Tim, and I will say people will buy this, Tim, and it's because of the way it will be marketed, Tim. I see this in high designer showcase furniture environments where people are buying really expensive furniture. Tim, I don't know if you've actually seen this thing. It has a nice wood grain to it. It looks very professional, very sleek. I think if you get the right buyer that comes in for a couch into a high-end furnishings uh, business and sees that, maybe they'll go home with a pinball machine too. I do think this can find an audience. Tim, what do you think? Why won't it find an audience? Why won't people purchase it? Well, because I think for that price, you could buy a new pinball game, which are very expensive in their own, and build your own so it's just it just seems way overpriced when you price it more than an original pinball games which everybody would agree has gone up in value and have become really expensive to think about spending even more money that they have a hard enough time getting people to buy brand new actual pinball games i think they will run into some difficulty with people being willing to spend more than that now tim the only thing is that when you buy a pinball machine you play one game okay you play you know, uh, Deadpool, or you play ACDC, you play that one game, this thing has 95 games on it. And maybe the, and maybe a possibility of being able to play more since it's a digital pinball platform. So that's a big selling point here, I think, for a lot of people. Like I said, if you walk into a high-end furnishings business, you see this next to this high-end sofa that you're looking at, you may consider it, Tim, just because it does look like a high-quality piece of furniture and also features all of this great information on it. And Tim, I mean, it's got that 55-inch screen, very large playfield style for this. I, I do agree with you that the price is a little on the high side. With that said, what do you think something like this this would sell for in order for people to buy it. 
I think you're probably about half that price to get people just to buy it, just to rush out and get it. Because at that price, you're com- think about who your compet- competitors are. You can get a multimorphic for that price, who actually plays like a real pinball game and has a big screen in it, and comes with the kits. And then the kits you buy after that, you would own the the cabinet to do it in. This one comes with the 96. You're right, but that's is that all you have the rights to? Is there future games that are going to be added? What are the 96 titles? Are they the really big games? Or is it just a bunch of obscure pinball games that we've never heard of? That would be my question. So I'm glad you brought up the Multimorphic, Tim, because here's the thing. Yes, it is about a $10,000 initial investment on the Multimorphic, but the, and you can play some titles with that same back play field, but you got to remember, you've got to invest in upgrades. The new Weird Al game, Tim, for Multimorphic is going to be like an extra $3,500 or $3,000. And on top of the $10,000, here I'm getting 92 or 96 games, however many, 90-something games. For one price, I don't have to pay more for upgrades. And Tim, it sounds like... Like there may be eventual tables added as well, and I won't need to buy an extra piece of playfield in order to get that. So it's kind of like I'm investing in this one-time $9,000 fee. I'm going to be able to play a lot of games going forward. So I love the multimorphic concept, and I think you know it's, if you're looking at side by side, I think that's a very apt comparison. But with multimorphic, you do have to invest more in the back playfields where you would not have to with something like this. What do you say to that? I think you have three customers. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, and Bill Gates. They're about the only people who are going to be able to afford it. Well, here's the, like I said, Tim, you got that guy who's in the, in his furniture store for some high-end furniture. If this is sitting by that high-end furniture, what's to say he doesn't go ahead and throw that on with the rest of the stuff he's trying to finance? That's all I'm saying. Maybe, maybe so. I guess time will tell. What do you, what do you, what does our audience think? That's what I want to know. So let us know what you guys think. Do you think that the Skillshot FX digital pinball machine will find an audience at its $9,000 price point? And then if not, what price point do you think would be good for this product? So, again, chime in. You can chime in in the comments section below or just let us know. Questions at ArcadeRepairTips.com. We'd love to hear your opinions on this. And we'll see you next time for the next Arcade Debate. Take care. Ah, there we go. Yeah, hey, look at that. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm going to go ahead and switch this back here. I'm getting out of this box. I feel trapped. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So nine thousand dollars, I think, is high too. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth. I don't worth. know. You know, I haven't seen one. I haven't played it for sure. Right. So I can show the picture up here too. It does. I mean, it looks kind of cool. So, yeah, I mean, you can look. It looks like a high end piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So I envision this thing in a high end furniture store next to all the stuff you're trying to buy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why I picture this thing, and. It does have Wi-Fi. It does run Windows 10. So I mean, the fact that it runs Windows 10 mean, means that you may be able to play a lot more on it than just what comes with it. All right, but you're saying a high-end furniture store. Is this going to be next to a bed that will adjust in a king-size bed that costs $3,000? And I'm going, I'm going to play three times what I've got to sleep in every night? I, that's where it's going to be. It's going to be a hard sell. But if you sell to the right person, it might sell. I don't know. Yeah. What's the, what uh, are let's guys see what, saying about I was about it? to say, I'll bring back the live chat here, and let's see what we got here. Um, YouTube Punk says, pricey, pricey. Uh, YouTube Punk says, Tim is putting on his brass knuckles. <laughs> you going to hit me right here, boy? Uh, let's see. Uh, YouTube Punk, a TV should run about maybe $1,000. A PC for pinball shouldn't be more than 600 The rest is materials and cost of software. Seems way overpriced. Yeah. Agreed. Seahorses at night says, um, or let's see, seahorses all night says people will train their skills. Uh, hot spot for a hamburger if things keep going this way. Or skill shot, their skill shot for a hamburger. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Geeklight, uh, says wives will never let it happen for normal people. So there you right. go. 
Uh, Michael says, never played one of the ultra high-end virtual pinball machines, but the regular ones suck compared to the real thing. Um, John says it should be about 6K. Okay. So I think 5 to 6 is the sweet spot. But here's the thing. Who's to say you can't set your sights high, Tim? Right. And then run a sale. Right. Okay. Hey, we were selling for 9. Guess what, Tim? We're selling uh-huh. for 6 now. Right. You know? Sounds I'm still better. making money. You know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I have the arcade one up, Arc- Attack from Mars. We played it. And mm-hmm. with the new software update, it actually plays pretty decently. Look, guys, it's not pinball. Right. Okay, that's a, the first thing you have to remember is that it's not a real pinball machine. But I have, I still enjoy playing Attack from Mars on this thing. I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better than playing it on my phone. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's what I For compare sure. it to. I'm not comparing it to playing the real pinball machine. Right. What does a real Attack from Mars cost? Exactly. Okay? That thing cost me 400 bucks. So... That's what. That's the problem with this. It costs more than the real game, so it's like, right. uh, yeah, I get it. You get ninety six games, but you could we could probably mod this and put a bunch of games on. But you're it also too. talking about a thirty two inch screen and a very small monitor in the back, whereas this thing has a fifty five inch screen for the play field and a right. huge monitor. I doubt I would get and, any... and a PC. This has like an Android. This has an Android mini board. Right. This has a full on PC. True. So I mean, you're getting a lot. Is it overpriced? Probably, but that just means you can put a really good sale on. I agree. So, you know, I don't think there's anything Time wrong with will that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Johnson, I'd rather play um, VR pin sim with my Oculus Quest. Mm-hmm. So if you've got an o- Oculus Quest, you can play VR pinball. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to do that. That's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's, I think it is, um, I think it is expensive as well. So we'll just see. Right? right. So we'll see. Time will tell. Exactly. So there you go. Arcade debate. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. It was fun. <laughs> so maybe we can bring that back more often. So. Okay, um, more news here, Tim. Let's go to this next one here. Pac-Man has a new wife, thanks to the Miss Pac-Man drama. This is from Polygon. Tim, uh, Polygon wasn't the only one who picked it up. A lot of different news outlets have picked okay. this up. But Miss Pac-Man is steadily disappearing thanks to a Byzantine dispute involving Bandai Namco and At Games. So you may remember, Tim, we had a story where At Games had purchased right. the uh, royalty the royalties from GCC, from the people who, uh, General Computing Corporation, mm-hmm. the people who had a royalty right to Ms. Pac-Man. So now At Games gets that royalty right. Now here's the deal. Bandai Namco can still use the character any way they want to. They okay. have complete control of the character, but anytime the character is used, they have to pay a royalty fee to At Games. That's how this works. Okay. So in the recent release of 1984's Pac-Land, Tim, so like on the Switch and some other consoles, mm-hmm. Uh, Bandai Namco has replaced Miss Pac-Man with Pac-Mom. And you can see ah. the picture over here. And she wears a pink hat, gloves, and heels instead of a red bow, orange gloves, and red boots. While Bandai Namco still has full ownership and use of Miss Pac-Man and Baby Pac, the characters, Ad Games owns a royalty interest in them and, and receives a payment anytime either of those characters are used. So even but in Baby Pac, Pac-Mom. here they, they did a palette swap to make it not look like Baby Pac. Okay. Okay. So here's the deal. It's kind of sad because it means that Miss Pac-Man's kind of disappearing. Wow, that is sad. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we're getting Pac-Mom replaced, mm-hmm. replacements in these new games because they don't want to pay the royalty fees. Okay. So hopefully Namco and Ad Games, Bandai Namco and Ad Games can figure this out, Tim. They can figure out some way to, you know, to come to uh, terms to where we can see Miss Pac-Man and more stuff. Again. For sure. So, but we'll see. Uh, it is what it is and I think it's rough and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, they don't want to pay those royalty fees. Right. That's what it comes down to. Not so, a fan of the Pac-Mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, Michael, uh, on the pinball machines, he says, do you get the knock with the virtual pinball machines because that's such a huge part of the game. So on the Attack from Mars, there are solenoids built into the game that simulate it. 
Oh, really? Yes. You, you've been there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you felt them. So, um, the Arcade 1-Up has solenoids in the game that actually do simulate it. Now, it's a simulation. You can tell. The knock is there, though. Is it mm-hmm. as loud as a regular pinball machine? No. no. Okay? But they're in there, and so you do get a little bit of a feel. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Playing on this is play- better than playing on your phone. Uh, a lot that. better. But is it as good as playing the real thing? Sure. No. No. So, there you go. Uh, let's see. Tim says, I agree with Tim. Way too expensive and other options out there. So there you go. One for you. <laughs> I agree with you too. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Mr. Dwayne's here. He says, sorry, I'm late. You're never late. You're right. always on time. That's how this works, right? Yeah. So there you go. So thanks for being on time. So, uh, there we go. Um, but yeah, so we just got done with the Miss Pac-Man and, uh, just what are your thoughts on that? I mean, does it matter to you that they replaced Miss Pac-Man with Pac-Man? Is that a big deal to you? <laughs> Is it a big deal to you? No. Nah. I mean, I don't know if it is. Not really. I mean, as long as the original Miss Pac-Man is still around. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I can play Miss Pac-Man. I'm right. not worried about Pac-Man. Exactly. So, okay. Uh, let us go to our next news item here, Tim. Tetris Arcade Machine is now the world's largest standing at 16 feet. This okay. is the Guinness Book of World Records, Tim. We had this on our on our uh, social media pages this month. And it says, The record for the world's largest arcade machine was recently broken in by Mad Lab in Spain. The entertainment venue has a machine that measures 16 feet tall. The arcade machine features a working version of Tetris, a popular building block puzzle game originating from, from the late 80s. Uh, in order to play the machine, guests need to acquire a giant coin from reception and climb steps to reach the playable button. So there <laughs> okay. you go. Uh, pretty cool. You can see the big coin there. I think he's got his hand on it, like in the picture oh, to the okay. right there. And the buttons do work. Um, you know, Tim, just, uh, pretty cool. Just something cool. Now, I've, I, I think when we posted this, some people were saying, I can make one bigger than 16 mm. feet. Do it. Right. Beat it. Okay. You know, that's, that's how records are. I feel like right. records are made to be broken. So, what were you going to say, Tim? I, I think it's definitely uh, something that's doable. Yeah. So, why And 16 not? feet is pretty big. Yeah, it's still pretty big. think tall. you could go bigger. That's a pretty If tall you game. can, let yeah. us know. We'd love to see it. Uh, so, I just thought that was interesting and, you know, a lot of people talking about it on our social media pages as well. Uh, YouTube Punk says he's going to trademark Pac-Mam. Oh, okay. So, Pac-Mam. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the next one they're gonna go with. Maybe so. Uh, what's another another one that we can go with? <laughs> no, I don't know. We'll figure something out. So, okay, uh, this was something Tim that Mark was really interested in. Uh, our one of our social media contributors, and that's the arcade one up Dragon's Layer cabinet, which okay. is now available for pre order. So Tim, it looks really nice, and they put an LCD screen in the back for the scores, just like the original Dragon's Layer cabinet had. Of course, it had LEDs. LED um, readouts for the scores and everything. But the fact that they separated that out from the main screen makes it look more authentic to me. It does. So, I mean, definitely does. So, the Arcade 1-Up Dragon's Lair Home Arcade Cabinet includes the title game plus the sequel, Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp, and the sci-fi adventure-themed Space Ace. Features include a secondary alphanumeric screen for score information, light-up marquee, molded coin door. So it actually has a molded coin door on the Oh, okay. Okay. And then a custom riser. Estimated shipping date is late summer. If you order now, you can get an additional $50 off, which puts the price at $599.99. Okay. I don't know when they're going to add the extra $50 onto that price, but at some point, you're going to be paying an extra $50 for that. So if you want in on this, now would be the time. Tim, we all know Dragon's Lair cabinets go for a lot of money and usually are very hard to keep running because mm-hmm. they're laser disc unless you go with like a Dexter solution or something. So for those of you people who enjoy these Don Bluth laser disc games, this is a really good deal. 
six hundred bucks. You get you get basically all three of those games that are very iconic. Tim, I remember going to my favorite arcade back in the day and seeing Dragon's Lair Two mm-hmm. Time Warp and running through that attract mode, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> of course, I played it and that went away. But no, nah, it's not a bad game. It's still a fun game to play as long as you can figure out, as long as you can remember all the directions, right? For sure. So there we go. Uh, and then Tim, what else? I'm horrible at it. You know, I've gotten pretty far in like the emulator, emulate versions and stuff. I mean, I've done it before, but it is tough. Uh, YouTube Mike says $600. I mean, to me, $600 is a bargain. I mean, you have you seen what like a real Dragon's Lair goes for working? (laughs) I mean, it's expensive, you know, so I mean, you get all three games, 600 bucks, not bad. Uh, Michael says, I really sucked at Dragon's Lair. Takes practice. And, um, I've beaten it now. But it took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just have to play. If you play the sections over and over again, you just eventually, you get them memorized. You get them memorized. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I couldn't do it now. I'd have to work back up. But I have beaten the dragon before. I've seen the end. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, same here. It's fun watching other people play. Yeah, it's re- it's more fun watching somebody else play. I think play. it is. <laughs> it is. And you, and it's one of the games, Tim, I remember that would have that extra monitor on top. The, the little view, the mm-hmm. viewing monitor so people could see what was going on. And I think that's why is because, you know... People, people like that. So, um, YouTube Punk says he's a cheapskate. So here's the deal. I bought some arcade one ups because mm-hmm. they were on clearance at, uh, at Walmart. I've got, I bought the Mortal Kombat one, uh, Midway 12 in one, and I have a, um, Pac-Man Legacy Edition over here that I bought. This one was 150 on clearance and the 12 in one Midway with Mortal Kombat 2 was 200 on clearance. Nice. So right now, if you've got a Walmart around you, you may want to go check, check and see out. if they've got any of these arcade one ups on clearance. Uh, the Simpsons, Tim, in some areas was going for 200, but the Simpsons just doesn't have the replayability to me that like, um, that like the Mortal Kombat and the Pac-Man have. You know, mm. just, I mean, people enjoy those games so much. So if you're a cheapskate and you're looking for a good deal, check your local Walmart for some clearance deals on arcade one ups right now. Uh, let's see. Geeklight says, I only completed Space Ace on my Amiga. I have never completed Space Ace. I find mm-hmm. it harder than Dragon's Lair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon's Lair 2 is easier to me, and I think it's because it, uh, if you have the right settings on, Tim, it'll show you which directions you need to hit when. Okay. Which really helps. So, whereas Dragon's Lair, you just had to guess. Right. You know, it's trial and error, so. Um, YouTube Punk says, I remember seeing Dragon's Lair in my local Aladdin's castle. It had a crowd as a kid. I was thankful for the spectator monitor. Yes, exactly. We've mm-hmm. seen spectator monitors on that game probably more than any other game. Uh, it's just, it was because of people wanting to see it. But Tim, there's not a whole lot of replayability. I mean, if you leave that in an arcade for a while, I think eventually it would stop earning pretty quick. Oh, sure. Looks great, but I mean, I think it has a short shelf life, you know? And I get, you know, at the time though, LaserDisc games were so innovative. The people didn't care. But now, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, Dragon's Lair is a great game, but it's like once you've seen the ending... Right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it. So, anyway. Now, Tim, we had this on our Facebook page, and it's kind of the opposite of what we normally do. Mm-hmm. Normally, we post deals and tell people to buy this. Mm-hmm. Right? This time, we did the opposite. We said, do not buy this. <laughs> okay? And so, I just want... This got a lot of... Uh, this got a lot of uh, different... Uh, what do you call it? Got a lot of traction, Tim, because people were commenting on it. But normally we post deals that we recommend you buy. In this case, here's a deal you should not buy. Right. Amazon has a 12 pack of their blue electrical tape for $4.03. Now, Tim, that sounds like an awesome deal. Okay? Sounds like 12 it. packs of electrical tape for $4.03. Great. Yes, this is a good price, but the reviews indicate the adhesive is not good. Tim, we've talked a lot about adhesive tonight. Mm-hmm. This is common on the cheaper brands as they do not, uh, they do this to save on cost. Remember, don't cheap out on the electrical tape, like Tim says. For real. Get you some high quality 3M or another name brand instead. You'll thank us later. 
right? So, Tim, some things look like a good deal, but they're not. And like I said, we've talked a lot about adhesive tonight, so I'm going to have to talk to all my chemist friends and see about adhesive. But, um, yes, do not buy cheap electrical tape. Don't right. do it. Save yourself the trouble. Now, Tim, I do use cheap electrical tape on things like... Uh, Christmas light wiring projects. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like sometimes, um, whenever I put my Christmas lights up, if I have like an exposed plug or something mm-hmm. like that on them, like on the ends, you know how they are in the end. Yeah. I'll wrap it with some cheap electrical tape because I know it's only going to last a month. And and it comes right off easily. Exactly. <laughs> so it's one month. But if you're permanently wiring something in your arcade cabinet, don't cheap out on the electrical tape. Right. Okay. Get the good stuff. So just do it. YouTube Bunk like, YouTube Bunk uh, was talking fifty cents per play on Dragon's Layer. It's pricey. Oh yeah. It is price it was pricey back in the day. Now I take my kids to I take my kids to round one in Grapevine, you know, over the spring break, mm-hmm. which is awesome. But man, that's expensive. Oh, Golly, yeah, man, the credits, they they're getting you. So but uh, you know, again, still have fun though. So it is what it is. The price of games have has increased dramatically, but here's the thing, the cost of buying games has increased dramatically too. For sure. So I mean it it goes both ways. If you can even find them. Exactly. Well, Tim, I think that about wraps it up for our regular show this month. I'm going to okay. always put this out here. Now, you may remember last month, Tim, we played a video in our pre-show lead-up to oh, yeah. yeah, in our pre-show lead-up to the live show from Regzer Show. Mm-hmm. If you would like that kind of advertising for your channel, we're always looking for people to submit videos. So, if you have a short 10-minute video or so about an arcade-related topic, you can send a link to your video to questions at arcaderepairtips.com and our staff will review it. If we like it, we'll use it during one of our live show, pre-show to episode kind of things. Make sure that you put a plug-in for your channel so people will know where to find you. We look forward to seeing your submissions. And Tim, we always put, I put the, the thing up here. In fact, I'm just going to roll it here so the people who are watching the video version of this can see because I still have it. There it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have the little video there and you'll see this was a Rexer show. You can probably hear his video. I'll mute that real quick. But um, yeah, so you can see here, like, I mean, that that's just the pre-show video there that we did for Rexer show. So if you would like to be featured like that on our um, on our channel, please let us know. We'd be happy to do that for you. Just send us in a video, and we'll do something like that if we like it. So if it's arcade-related, it's a great great opportunity for you to get your channel name out there. So for sure. And now I'm getting to the contact information. I'm going to check with the live chat before we do that, Tim. Uh, Michael says, yeah, 50 cents in 1983. That's like $1.25 today for 30 seconds of mm-hmm. pain. <laughs> right. uh, he says, a Tessa tape is the stuff to get. That stuff is amazing. Have you ever used that, Tim? Uh-uh. So name brand electrical tape. It doesn't have to be 3M. We like 3M, but just get you some name mm. brand. So anyway. Okay, Tim, let's put the contact information out there real quick, and we're going to go get to the after show. So here we go. We have our general email address at questions at arcaderepairtips.com. Questions at arcaderepairtips.com. If you'd like it mentioned on the live show, make sure you put live show in the subject and we'll try to make sure that we hold it back for the live show. Otherwise, we'll try to answer it whenever we get around to it. And that's again, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. We have our YouTube page at youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. Of course, uh, everybody who's watching this live knows exactly you know where it is, but for those of you guys who may be listening on the podcast feed or after the fact, go to youtube.arcaderepairtips.com and you can watch the video of this episode there. Um, and we try to cover the comments from the last live show on the next episode, so if there's any comments that you guys leave on previous live show episodes, we try to cover those on the next one. But again, youtube.arcaderepairtips.com for all of our great videos. And then we have our podcast feed, which features live shows, interviews, question and answer podcasts, etc. And you can find that on our iTunes page at itunes.arcaderepairtips.com. And Tim, you can leave us reviews there as well. We'd love for you guys, if you haven't already left us a review on iTunes, please go to iTunes and sign up for an account. Leave us a review. We'd love to love to get your input there. 
We have our Spotify page, Tim, at spotify.arcaderepairtips.com. We have our Stitcher radio page at stitcher.arcaderepairtips.com. And, of course, Tim, you can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. <laughs> so I like to say it like that. Wherever they do a search for Arcade Repair on your favorite podcast platform, guess what? You'll probably find us. Yeah. So we've been out there long enough at this point that I think we're everywhere, Tim. And we are on Facebook podcast, but they're about to shut down. So don't subscribe there. Find somewhere <laughs> else and you'll be good to go. So, but again, um, iTunes is probably the premier place because we know a lot of you guys use Apple devices. So iTunes.arcaderepairtips.com for our iTunes page. And then we have our social media pages, Tim. We have our Facebook page at facebook.arcaderepairtips.com. And uh, we want to thank Mark for all the posts that he made this month, Tim, including the one on the Dragon's Lair that we mentioned. Nice. Uh, Mark is also kind of our pinball reporter, Tim. Any big news in the pinball world, he tends to post up. So uh, we want to thank Mark for all of his contributions to the community and remind you that you can see all of our great posts at facebook.arcaderepairtips.com. Of course, if you don't like Facebook, you'd rather subscribe on Twitter. We have Twitter as well, twitter.arcaderepairtips.com. Tim, I've heard a lot of people are leaving Twitter recently because of a certain purchase. I have no idea what that's about. But if you're one of the people who are still on Twitter, you can go to twitter.arcaderepairtips.com. And, Tim, the same stuff gets posted on both sites. Okay? So it doesn't matter where. If you're following us on Twitter or Facebook or both, same information, either place. You can do that and and find all of our great information. Tim, we posted the deal about the Star Wars Arcade 1-Up pinball machine. And, and somebody was so bummed that they missed it. Make sure that you change your notification settings on the Facebook page to get alerted whenever we have a post. And you can do that by clicking the little three little dots up in the corner of the page on the desktop. And then there's a, uh, I think it says, it's like um, notification settings or something mm-hmm. like that. Notifications on. And then make us one of your favorites and then say, I want a, I want a notification every time they post. If you do that, you won't be late next time. I promise. So don't miss out on the deals that we're posting. Make sure that you turn on your notification settings on Facebook. Of course, Twitter yeah. people don't have to worry about that as much. And we should note that we are a privately held company and no chance that Elon Musk will buy us out. Uh, if he comes knocking at the door with enough money, Tim, <laughs> sold. In fact, anybody who wants to come knocking on my door with enough money can have arcade repair tips, okay? Uh, uh, it wouldn't take much. Five digits. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'm asking. So, <laughs> Five digits, this thing's out of here. So um, uh, somebody else can have it, and I'll stay on until my contract expires. So uh, that's how it's going to be. Um, let's see. I, I think that does it for the regular show. Tim, anything okay. to tease for the after show? Uh, we're gonna, I'll, I'd like to talk about a new game show that I've been watching and, um, uh, a new documentary that I recently watched. Um, what about you? Well, I talked about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So literally, we fill up an entire movie theater with all of my friends for my 40th birthday to watch Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It was pretty full, Tim. So mm-hmm. the entire upper level was full, but we had two rows on the front that weren't. So, okay. um, so like two, there were three rows on the front. And two of them were empty. Wow. So we almost filled up the entire movie theater with all my friends. I want to thank everybody who came. It was fun. But I'll tell you what I thought about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Tim, I got to watch um, Uncharted. Okay. Okay, which uh, Tom Holland got to mm-hmm. watch that. And I got to watch um, The Adam Project on Netflix. Have okay. you seen that with Ryan Reynolds? I have not seen that. So I've watched three movies since we since we talked last. And I have tickets to go see Doctor Strange next Thursday. Nice. So I am going to go see it. I'm looking forward to that as well. So I um, really want to see Doctor Strange. Big fan. So uh, I'll tell you more about what I thought about that on the next live show. Now, mm-hmm. if you're... At this point, you can get off. The after show happens shortly, about, what, five to ten minutes after the regular live show. Of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, you will need to go to YouTube and look up episode 63 of the live show in order to see the after show. Fast forward past the regular live show part, and then you'll get to the after show if you want to hear more about that. Tim, I do want to talk about Robin Hood, which okay. is a platform in the past that we've, that we've, uh, we've supported. 
Okay. But we no longer support. We right. talked about that before. But we'll talk a little bit about Robinhood. Um, Tim, I got a new phone, and I'm not a high-end phone user, but this is the first phone I've had in like six years that wasn't an LG phone. I okay. was a pretty, and I was an LG loyalist. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk a little bit about some smartphones too in the after show if you guys are interested in that. Uh, and I think that's going to do it. So if you guys want to stay tuned for the after show, there's some of the topics we'll be covering. If this is your off ramp and you're ready to, you're ready to get on with the rest of your night. We want to thank you guys for watching the Arcade Repair Tips live show here tonight. We love answering your questions. We want to thank the live chat and everybody here. Okay. You guys are awesome. Um, something else for the after show, Tim. YouTube Punk says the last episode of Moon Knight dropped on Wednesday. I'm a fan. Oscar Isaac was amazing. We'll talk about Moon Knight because I have also seen all those episodes okay. as well. So, uh, if you guys want to hear anything about that, make sure you turn it into the after show. Tim, do you have anything else to say before we exit the regular show and head on into that good night? No, let's go on and just thank you for watching. But continue to keep those questions uh, coming and thank you all for participating in the live chat tonight. Absolutely. Uh, we had a great live chat here tonight. You guys were awesome and amazing. Uh, Tim, we love the questions during the show. It's always fun. And it's fun, too, when we have people who ask questions on the outline that are yeah, here. So Joe, yeah, yeah. for instance, it's really fun when you guys are in the in the live chat with us when we're answering your questions because a lot of times we can get a little bit more back and forth, uh, which makes it a little bit more fun for us as well. Uh, I emailed the people. So if I put your if I put your question on the live show outline, you get an email letting okay. you know that we did that. So that way you can tune in when it's live. I usually send those out either the day before or two days before, depending on when I get the outline done. So uh, if you do submit a question and it's going to be on the live show, we try to get that over there to you so you'll know when to tune in. But, Tim, I think that's going to do it for tonight. So if this is your off-ramp, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we know you have a lot of options when it comes to entertainment, so we mm-hmm. thank you for choosing us and hanging out with us tonight. It's always fun. And uh, just looking forward. Oh, NHL and NBA playoffs. Talking about that, too, in the after show. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I think. All right, let's go. Okay. Thank you guys again. And remember here at Arcade Repair Tips, when you fix the game, you play the game. Take care, everybody. We'll see you in the after show, or we'll see you next month for episode 64. Take care. Thank you for watching this episode of the Arcade Repair Tips live show. All of our past episodes are available on our website at ArcadeRepairTips.com or on our YouTube page. This show is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.